You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hey, I'm Steve Englehart, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Avengers West Coast, episode 1B, covering the second half of the Avengers West Coast epic collection called How the West Was Won. This is a period of West Coast Avengers from 1985 to 1986. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I am your Avengers West Coast co-host, Josh Tan. And Josh, tell us, what are we talking about in this episode? All right, so this is picking up where we left off with a little surprise added in there with Iron Man issue 193, then the West Coast Avengers regular ongoing series issues 1 through 7, Vision and Scarlet Witch issues 1 and 2, and Wonder Man number 1, which was a one-shot. Now, all of you listening at home, you're probably saying, Iron Man 193, why are you talking about Iron Man 193? And some of you may be saying, Thank goodness they're talking about Iron Man 193. Um, When we were reading this, and I can't remember if I mentioned this in the last episode or not, there's kind of a gap between when the Roger Stern miniseries happened and when the ongoing series happened. It's almost, I think it's almost a year that goes by. Mm -hmm. And within that amount of time, stuff changes. Characters go through some development and stuff. And the most notable change is um, Iron Man. Because in the first series, it's Rhodey who is Iron Man. And in the ongoing series, it's Tony. <laughs> so what happened there? Why, why, why the change? If you're reading this one epic collection, that's a pretty big continuity jump right there. That's really the only, the, that's the biggest thing I think about this collection is that they don't do anything to explain why Rhodey's there and then all of a sudden it's Tony again. Yep. So then I suggested uh, maybe we should tackle Iron Man 193 because as I was reading through these issues, uh, I love making sure that every time there's an editorial box that says C issue, whatever, whatever, I always go to it so that I can see what's going on uh, because sometimes it's it's just a passing reference or sometimes they don't uh, they give more detail or whatever so there is one reference to Iron Man 193 when uh, Tigra is chewing out Tony about something and so I'm like okay I better check that issue so I went to the epic collection Duel of Iron that's volume 11 of the Iron Man epics and I looked in that issue and it's a guest starring the the Avengers West Coast and what do you know? It's actually a really important issue. Yes, yeah. There's a couple of things actually going on. There, there's at least one other thing in that in that particular story that that does play out later. Um, but yes, the the it's jarring to see all of a sudden Tony's on there with with no mention of where Rhodey went when we spent four solid issues of character development with Rhodey joining the team, getting comfortable with these guys, and you know becoming friends with these guys, and then all of a sudden he's just not in the book. So it's yeah, it, it has everything to do with what was going on in the Iron Man series at the time, 
But yes, uh, if if you're just reading the epic collection of Avengers West Coast, it, it there's no reference. It's just like, oh, um, okay, I guess we're with Tony now. I definitely think that they should have included this issue in Avengers West Coast Epic Collection Volume One. It looks like there are what's what's the page count on here? Four hundred and seventy, about four hundred and eighty-five pages in this. So. It would have pushed it just over two, uh, just over five hundred pages, which is not unusual for an epic collection. Right. It wouldn't have been out of place to include this here, and it would have smoothed things over a great deal. Uh, I think so. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to begin our conversation talking about Iron Man number one ninety three. So if you at home are listening and following along, you can pause your episode and quickly find that issue and read along, um, and then uh, rejoin us because uh, we are going to talk about that one in a little bit more detail. In the Iron Man story, in the ongoing story, Rhodey's been acting kind of a jerk toward Tony because Tony is not Iron Man right now. And he's sort of focused in this, uh, in his own business that he's starting up on the West Coast. And he's got a couple of people working with him. And Rhodey's kind of taking on all of these, these Iron Man duties. And the, the armor's actually giving him massive headaches. And that's turning him into kind of a cranky person. He's very irritable. And he's mm-hmm. he, and, and so this is kind of, there's this tension between Tony and Jim. They're best friends, but right now they're kind of at odds. And so in this issue, we see kind of things come to a head where they are talking. Uh, they have a great conversation about, you know, who should be in the armor, who's worthy of being in the armor and um, and Rhodey thinks that he just needs to step aside. Uh, so this issue is very important because it is. Um, oh, sorry, I should say that this also is the issue that's right after the big uh, battle with Obadiah Stane, and Tony swept in at the last minute to take out Obadiah Stane in his old gray armor, and that really pissed off Jim uh, because Jim was like, "I thought you'd let me handle this." Yeah, it was starting to get to the point where. Rhodey in in the Iron Man book was starting to feel threatened by Tony because now Tony's clean because he was on a, a bender there for a while. He he got himself clean again and was getting himself back in the lab and tinkering. And he, he Rhodey during that series kept wondering, okay, when's he taking this back? When's he going right. to take back the suit? Um, and and then Tony builds himself just this kind of rudimentary, simple gray armor, uh, you know, similar to his original armor back in the 60s and, um, you know, without all the bells and whistles. And it, it was really starting to bother him on top of the fact that he was getting these headaches and just being irritable and, and just a total chip on his shoulder, which is actually really natural. Uh, I, I really do like this run with Denny O'Neill. I know that you've covered that in your Iron Man series of podcasts. Yeah. Um, it, they're really, really worth reading because they're they're good stuff. And this side of Rhodey is not; it doesn't come across at all when you are reading the uh, the the Avengers West Coast miniseries. And so both of those work side by side. I think you have mm-hmm. to take one with the other. You have the insecure Rhodey from the beginning of uh, the the miniseries, uh, along with this irritable to- uh, Rhodey that you see here in Iron Man. And so we get to the point where. Rhodey Rhodey says, I need to step away from being Iron Man. Uh, I'm going to hand in my resignation to the West Coast Avengers. I don't want to be on the team anymore. And so that's a big deal. Like that's uh, mm-hmm. um, that's that's the reason why we don't see Rhodey in, in the ongoing series. And it's in this issue. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, Rhodey is continuing in the Iron Man series with this. But I mean, during a lot of those 
issues um, uh, Michelini's second run after O'Neill leaves the book, uh, you know, he there's a few references because I've been reading those kind of uh, here and there as well, where he's like, no, nah, I don't want the suit. That's your thing. Like he's he's so at peace with just once again being uh, Tony's pilot and you know confidant and second in command without the suit. Um, but again, like you said, you know that that isn't referenced uh, in in this series. And it, there's not really a place for it, but that's kind of the cool thing with the Marvel Universe is you just you, you find where your character went and you can keep following that person. Yeah, definitely. Another cool moment here is that uh, Tony puts on his gray armor and goes to the Avengers mansion to let them know that Rhodey is stepping out of the team. And at that point, he decides to let the, uh, the West Coast Avengers know uh, that he is Iron Man. He takes off his helmet. And for the longest time since the 60s, the thing about the Avengers is it's different from like the X-Men where they don't have secret identities or it's different than the Fantastic Four where they're family members. These guys mm-hmm. just come together for, for issues to solve when when they're called upon so they're allowed to have their personal lives so they've never told each other their secret identities or if they did it was their own choice to do so so up until this point in 1989 here uh, we didn't know anything about Tony Stark's secret identity, or the teammates didn't, at least. And this is the big reveal. Yeah, they they only knew him as he was like considered the Avengers benefactor. You know, they knew they they operated out of his mansion in New York. Um, they know that he designed security systems and stuff like that. But he, yeah, he, he it was never they never put two and two together uh, because you know Iron Man was always just Tony's bodyguard. Yeah. Um, and that reveal in this issue is, I think, pretty important of a moment um, in Avengers history, quite honestly, because like you said, it's the first time really something like that was done because that that was never the the intention of Avengers was to to get that involved with with each other. Yeah. And from this point on, there's basically all of the Avengers know each other's secret identities. There was one point in Roger Stern's Avengers, which will come up uh, uh, before this or after this. Actually, it might be uh, might have been before this, where Captain Marvel told this is the Monica Rambeau. Captain Marvel told uh, Captain Mm -hmm. America who she is. And Captain America's like, no, you don't you don't have to tell me uh, oh okay you're telling me okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so it's like they they tried to do that they, they kept that going for such a long time and now of course like the movies there is no such thing as as secret identities in any of the marvel cinematic universe movies right and you know it's kind of weird too if you think about it because the avengers in the team was always they were government sponsored they had that that cl- a1 clearance Uh, security clearance you would think that they similar to you know like the superhero registration act of years later that they would have had to give all that to the government and if you look at their like id cards it just has their signature that's their superhero name (laughs) and you know it's a little goofy but i I mean it's good stuff but but yeah yeah, are you seriously going to give a1 clearance to someone who you you don't even know the real name right (laughs) yeah now and and not to spoil anything beyond this, but you know Tony revealing his identity to the Avengers, then has some ramifications down the road with uh, the Stark Wars, the first Armor Wars, uh, which is probably a, a, a couple years down the road here. Um, right. Because he he you know he rubs some people the wrong way, and uh, stuff like that. So that 
this is kind of important. I, I do wish this was in here. And it wouldn't have been completely out of place because we had an Iron Man annual earlier. Right. Well, and so, the, the West Coast Avengers are featured all throughout this issue. It's not like we'd have to take uh, like a right. couple pages as a little excerpt or something. No, the full issue completely relates. It completely falls in the right timeline. It's, mm-hmm. It has every single uh, reason to be in the Epic Collection, but unfortunately it is not. Right. Uh, okay, well, with that behind us, let's move on to our actual issue here. Uh, we didn't even talk about that, the fact that Godzilla's in that issue, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, yeah, by the way, folks, Godzilla was in that issue. Yeah, uh, but that's okay. That's something that's uh, not relevant to our conversation here. But let's talk about Avengers number one. Avengers yes. number one. All right. Uh, so this is the start of the ongoing, which was still another about five months after that Iron Man issue. Um, so the, the, the West Coast Avengers team was there, but there was no... You couldn't pick up a, a comic about them for a little bit, but they were referenced uh, in a few different places. That Iron Man issue, uh, there was a couple of Avengers issues when um, uh, the team had to finally take down Vision, who kind of revealed his master plan to take over the, the world. Uh, Wonder Man was a part of that. And I'm I'm sure there were probably a few other references here and there, but uh, as far as a proper adventure or story featuring these guys, uh, we, people had to wait almost a year since the uh, the final uh, issue of the miniseries. That's right. Um, so, and then when they come back, man, they come back uh, full force because this isn't just a story that's one issue. This is a really a four part story that goes through West Coast Avengers 1 and 2 and the Vision and Scarlet Witch limited series 1 and 2. It was a big kind of a crossover, all written by Steve Englehart. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was it, it's a full-on crossover to kind of almost relaunch the West Coast team. So I have a couple of clips that I'm going to sprinkle through this episode from Steve himself. I got to talk to him on the phone recently. And so uh, we'll start off with a clip of him talking about launching West Coast and Vision Witch at the same time. They approached me. I... Um had been out of comics at that point. After I did Batman for DC, I, I left comics and went off and, and wrote a novel and then went to work for Atari and was happy working at Atari right up until they sold the company. I mean, I had gone to San Diego uh, that year to see old friends, even though I wasn't in comics. And both Shooter from Marvel and Giordano from DC came up and said, hey, you want to do any comics anymore? And I said, no, no, I'm done with comics. And then I went home, and that Sunday night, my boss at Atari called me up, and he said, I think we're all going to get fired on Wednesday. Oh, no. <laughs> so <laughs> on Monday, I called up both Shooter and Giordano and said, well, actually, you know, maybe. And so that was part of that deal. When I came back to Marvel, they said, we're going to have you do West Coast Avengers and Vision Scarlet Witch. And there might have been another one, I forget. But anyway, yeah, it was like they they gave it to me. And I know Roger was bent out of shape about it. And, you know, he and I have talked about this, and it's been, it's been talked about for years. I had nothing to do with it. I mean, they, I didn't know anything about that. I knew, I knew he'd done the miniseries. I read the miniseries, right? But, yeah. I mean, they said, you're doing West Coast Avengers. Like, okay, fine, you know. And, and it was only later that I found out that Roger wasn't thrilled about that as would be expected but yeah, sure. that was that was uh, shooter or mark grunewald or somebody came up with that 
Uh, okay, so the, the splash page of this first issue here on page 191 of the Epic Collection, it's great. It is a parody of one of the, I, I don't know the exact issue, but I've seen it like of one of the romance comics that Marvel did, like, yes. like that Kirby and Simon did way back when. Or maybe it was Bissema. I don't even know who the original artist is, but I can see the original in my head. And I tried doing a quick Google search and couldn't find the exact one that... Uh, <laughs> that there were so many... Uh... So many romance comics uh, covers that pretty much look like this, and yep. usually a thought balloon. Oh, what would my husband think? Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, this issue, uh, you know, again hits the ground running. We get a lot of, again, uh, as we said in the last episode, this spinoff book does require not necessarily a working knowledge of continuity, but there are a lot of continuity references that kind of get filled in as we go. But um, uh, this one has ex-Avenger Hank Pym um, in the regular Avengers book, which I do not know. The uh, Epic Collections at this point have not yet got to those. Um, but he was kind of on the outs with the team, but he was starting to get himself back together. Um, and he comes out to the, the compound because they have uh, Goliath there from you know their their battle with goliath in that iron man annual number seven which was so, like a year ago <laughs> he's been so there he's for been a in, year he's been in the stir at avengers compound which I, i'm surprised that that's legal yeah but um you know who's feeding them they got to be in if he's constantly in goliath form they got to give him a lot of food that's, that's right he's huge <laughs> yep um but he wanted to get out there to study that and he, again he, he makes it a point to i'm not a superhero i'm not joining the team hawkeye is continuously still looking for his sixth member um and uh hank makes it a point no i'm only here i'm a scientist that's all i'm here for um and while that is going on uh the team actually gets attacked by ultron 12 and man ape um two long-standing avengers foes and they actually break goliath out and then they escape with an unconscious wonder man uh, and pym that are this is all part of a larger pl plan but i mean a lot of stuff happens we had talked about the west coast avengers miniseries issue one being kind of ho-hum in terms of not really much conflict much, much action right and then this it's we get a bunch of supervillains and a breakout and stealing a you know kidnapping of members and and then a cliffhanger so this this hit the ground running pretty pretty good and not just any villain we're talking ultron here like yes. ultron makes his first appearance here uh, i love the detective work because um that that hawkeye does because at first it's like these are seemingly random events random attacks by characters that are totally unrelated they don't you don't know why these uh these people are are attacking all at once uh, or or what the reasons would be and mm -hmm. and hawkeye at the very end in the last pages he puts it all together and i love this and this is something that steve always does uh is he will deep he'll dig deep into continuity and find ways to tie things together that you didn't know before. Um, I recently did an episode of Fantastic Four uh, about Secret Wars 3 in the pages of Fantastic Four, and mm -hmm. there is an unbelievable amount of obscure history that, that Steve weaves into that story that we spent a whole two hours talking about just the continuity <laughs> about it. And, I bet. <laughs> um, and so he does that here too. So Goliath and Manape were both part of the Lethal Legion, uh, which mm -hmm. was a supervillain group. Uh, and they were run by, it was run by a guy named the Grim Reaper. And the Grim Reaper is Simon Williams's uh, brother. And Simon Williams 
his brain patterns were used as the basis for the Ultron AI. And so now we have all of the connections of why these characters are together and why Wonder Man and Pym have all been, they've, why they've been kidnapped. This is going to be some sort of family issue that's uh, that's taking place here. Um, I, I hate to correct you, Curtis. You said that his basis of his brain patterns were used for Ultron. It was actually Vision. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Vision. But Ultron stole those to, to, to make create, Vision. To create so Vision. <laughs> Yes, yeah, there's, there's, right. it's a very, very convoluted kind of family history, and that was something that Steve Englehart did with with this and Vision and Scarlet Witch. Is uh, they he really plays this up and really builds this up, and we'll talk about it as we go forward here. Uh, but but really make it up because because Pym is Ultron's father, and Ultron is his son, and then Ultron had Vision or created Vision, so Vision's his son, and <laughs> there's yeah. there's a lot going on with that, and you know Vision and and Simon being almost brothers. With Grim Reaper, yeah, there's a lot, lot to take in. It, yeah, it's it's, it's amazing. The, yeah. uh, no, thank you for correcting me because uh, I hate to give up bad information or you know, <laughs> I, I, well, I don't I, want people I, screaming sure at knew. me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, I, no, the, I totally knew it. It's just that when you're yeah. trying to explain it all here, it's like I just I just mixed it all up. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of names. It's a lot of moving parts right now with this, and and this is uh, again for these four issues. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of like I said, you're hitting the ground running. I, I did have a couple questions for you. Um, sure. What did you feel of the new logo for this book? I, I found it almost kind. I, I like the logo, but why did they change it? I wonder from the miniseries. Right. Yeah, I'm not sure. The new logo is very different. Um, I wonder if they're trying to make some sort of reference to. Uh, it's more of like a computerized font with the angular edges and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the just with the technological side of the of the West Coast because they they've been focusing the West Coast on Tony and you know Silicon Valley and yep. all this kind of stuff so I wonder if there's that aspect to it um, and I also wonder if they just wanted to distance it a little from the East Coast title and and they could have done that they they might have even wanted to jump it a little because there is this time jump of over a year or almost a year. Uh, you know, again, we got Tony on the team in his Scarlet Centurion armor, which is the the silver and, and red one. Yeah. Uh, which is is visually instantly different. You know, Simon has uh, a new costume. He That's no right. longer has his uh, safari jacket, which I miss. But <laughs> I, I do like the. Uh, he does look a little bit more like a California, like Muscle Beach kind of dude. So it almost fits uh, more with the West Coast vibe that yeah. they got going on. Um, one of the other things that uh, I noticed that Steve did when he started writing this is he changed Tigra a bit. And she is now, in this issue, it's it's showcasing how she's kind of wrestling with two different souls. Yeah. And this was not a part of Roger Stern's uh, miniseries. And this has uh, major payoffs and story uh, possibilities that Steve, I'm sure, did on purpose so that he could uh, you know, keep that, that going. But it, it makes her very hot and cold. Um, he also plays up with her kind of flirtatiousness even more so um, than we saw previously in the miniseries. Uh, in fact, there's a spot where her and Henry Pym are all smiles to one another. <laughs> yeah. Which is... Uh, pretty uh, you know pretty interesting little risque she has uh, a bunch of risque moments throughout the, this these issues that we're talking about here um, mm-hmm. and I think I like this change because she is sort of a, an underdeveloped or underused I shouldn't say underdeveloped because through her history through the 70s she's changed like so much um, oh yeah 
but I don't think that anyone really knew how to do her to do like her character. Uh, there has never been one person who you can definit- definitively say that's a Tigra writer right there, mm-hmm. um, or this is her definitive run. So she's sort of a blank slate in that sense. Like she has a history, but you can still kind of go anywhere mm-hmm. you want with her character. And I think Rod, I think Steve was going to do that with her here. I agree. Um, and we have a we, we didn't mention this. We have a new art team with uh, Al Milgram and Joe Sinnott doing the inks. Yep. And uh, it, it, it also I mean, it, it looks different compared to the West Coast miniseries. And I would say for the better, I think this this almost feels like um, a little silver agey, probably because of Sinnott. Oh, absolutely. But we get it feels like a full on superhero comic with the bold inks and you know, uh, I wanted to reference page 221 and 222. I mean, we get this great fight scene with Tigra and Man-Ape, and uh, there's some really it, just a really cool poses and action. And, I mean, she holds her own for quite some time, too. So, I mean, you get to see her ferociousness here. Yeah, you can see where Joe's influence is with all of the kind of the background uh, streak lines that he does. Yep. And yep. Just even how rounded his characters are, because Milgram can be actually a fairly sketchy and angular artist. But when you pair him with right. Joe Sinnott, Joe Sinnott is all about the the weighted lines and the curviness of the characters and that such. So uh, it it really transforms the book and, and looks super sharp. It it looks yeah, it looks very sharp, and it, it definitely fits that Marvel style um, with yep. you know the dynamic fight sequences and. Uh, yeah, it's it, it. The layouts here are, are really good, and under a different anchor, yeah, it might not have looked as crisp. I'm I'm sure. Oh, for sure not. Yeah, and we you can tell because there's a one very standout issue later on that's inked by Kyle Baker. It's still the same yes. artist, but if you want a, a demonstration on the difference between like w- what an inker can bring to the table, uh, you can't have a more different style than Joe Sinnott and Kyle Baker. <laughs> right, right. But we'll get to that a little bit later when we tackle that issue. Uh, do you want to move on to Vision and Scarlet Witch number one? Yes. So, yeah, this came out the same time as uh, West Coast Avengers number one. And it was always intended to be just a 12-issue limited series. Uh, and the idea is that um, Vision and Scarlet Witch want to just have a normal life. After after the, the horrible events of the Absolute Vision storyline, uh, the government wants to control Vision, uh, understandably, because they don't want him to do what he did again. And Scarlet right. Witch is like, no, but he's a person. Yes, his body is synthetic, but he's a person, and you can't control a person like that. And so they decide, since the, govern- since the Avengers are kind of government-sponsored, they're like, no, you have to do what we say. And so they say, you know what? We quit the Avengers. And this is the beginning of a long story for them that takes them into some very interesting places. And we're only going to mm-hmm. cover the first two issues in this book. But um, I think that at a later point, we should definitely tackle the rest of this limited series. Yeah, I think so. And and there is a reprint coming out, I believe, uh, just in time for Christmas for, for folks. So... You know, this material will be easy to get soon enough if it's not already. Definitely. Uh, So this issue is called, I think it's just called Vision and Scarlet Witch. I don't think it has another title than that. It It says uh, Lovers and... Lovers. Oh, yeah, Lovers. Oh, yeah, the the title page is a little, several pages into the book um, with a great splash page of them going down an elevator while they're kissing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But so let's (laughs) see here. We have, they decide to to quit the Avengers and they're going to move back to their hometown 
where they were in their first miniseries after they got married. They uh, their their realtor, whose name is Norman, sets them up with uh, a brand new house. The other one got burned down by people who were against robots and mutants living in their city, and they are afraid that um, well, they're not afraid that that'll happen again, but they are willing to accept that they they just want to take a stand against prejudice by uh, moving back to the city uh, and forcing people to come to terms with that reality that there are people that are different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, but, you know, the action, they don't really get to do anything. They don't even really get to move in, but they're attacked by zombies. <laughs> you know, as, as the what happens with Avengers usually. <laughs> yep. When, when my wife and, and I got our house, there was a couple zombies we had to get rid of too. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it happens. <laughs> I see. Uh, these zombies <laughs> are controlled by Black Talon, who is a villain that kind of pops up every once in a while. In fact, he is the guy who resurrected Simon Williams's body in the first place back in Avengers. Yes. I can't remember what it was. 152, I think. Yeah, it was. Um, I know it was in the uh, Epic Collection 9 Final Threat. That's right. Yep. All of that's in there. And they referred to them as Zuvembis instead of zombies in the in those issues. And right. I, I think it had something to do with censors at the time. You couldn't use the word zombie because of the comics code. Yeah, probably. that was uh, just kind of loosening up at the time. And so I think if I remember correctly in an interview that um, I, I can't remember if I talked about it with Shooter or not. He said that they technically were allowed to use the term zombie, but they'd already established this Zuvembi thing from a f- couple years before. So they just stuck <laughs> with that. But now they're and that is an actual term from like, you know, the turn of the century. Uh, it's not a right. made up word or anything, but they're they're fully calling them zombies in this issue. And they they actually can talk and stuff. So they're not the zombies like we come to yeah. think of zombies they're now. not walking dead they're not walking dead zombies but they are mindless corpses yeah and he black talent is uh he has a partner in crime here necra whom i only really know from an issue of ms marvel but i and i don't really know her from anything else um i i did look it up she she yeah she had a few appearances prior to this and i know she's in a few stuff after this um but uh i actually think they make a really good pair um black talon to to look at him is, is kind of goofy because he, yeah. he just looks like a, chi- a chicken man yeah i um, don't understand his costume <laughs> but i mean he he seems like very voodoo related and you know they usually do stuff with chickens and voodoo so i guess that's where that's coming from um but uh i like the idea of the two of them now her deal is she has She's super strong and super powerful the, the, the more hatred she has. So that's kind of an interesting concept, too, for a character, I think, to, to, to hold on to hate in order to be powerful. That's, <laughs> that's kind of difficult to do. I mean, we all get you know our issues where we get upset with something, but I don't know. Holding on to hate is really tough to do, at least for me. Well, that's why she's a supervillain, I guess. Right. <laughs> and, and even though it's, it's, it is revealed that you know, her lover is Grim Reaper, so we get Grim Reaper here, and she loves him, but then still has, I guess, enough hatred in order to, you know, lift a bus if she has to. Right. So we come to a point in this issue where um, where Scarlet Witch, they, they've they been hired to capture villain, but, uh, sorry, Vision, but they get Scarlet Witch instead. And so kind of lures Vision into their trap. We find out that mm-hmm. the Grim Reaper's behind this attack, which... If you've read West Coast Avengers number one, it all kind of comes together here. So uh, yes. Vision, of course, if 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 
Pym, and if Wonder Man are captured, and Ultron is behind it, and Grim Reaper's behind it, then of course we have to tie in Vision to the story here as well, because he's kind of the other family member in this weird family. Right. Yeah. Uh, if this is kind of the second half of the the, it's the flip side of the story to West Coast Avengers number one. And if you bought any of these Vision and Scarlet Witch trades, I I have the the trade called um, Avengers Vision and the Scarlet Witch: A Year in the Life, which collects the yes. entire twelve issue miniseries. They don't include West Coast Avengers number one. They don't usually include it, but I think that they should because that's really the beginning of this story. Yeah, they don't. They they include volume or issue two, but yeah, they didn't include issue one. And I know the and, issue number one doesn't have Vision or Scarlet Witch, but it is all the complete setup to right. everything that's going on here. So it's, um, it's odd. A couple things, uh, you know, going with the fact that yes, there's a lot of continuity, but they do make references to that, and they do that. Uh, Steve Englehart actually does that quite well. Uh, we get little touches of Vision's history. We get touches of Wanda's history. Uh, with a few flashback panels, um, the uh, there's a shot right at the beginning um, that has uh, like the All Winners Squad and the Invaders because right. throughout all of this, it is believed that Vision, uh, his body is that of the original Golden Age Human Torch. Yep. Um, so we we do get references to that uh, uh, a few different times. Um, I will also say. Uh, if you're, which one, which book are you looking at? Is this in the epic, or are you looking at the year in the life? Um, if you are using page numbers, let's use the epic page numbers. Okay, so that would be two thirty-three. Okay, is that uh, is that shot of the the invaders or the all winners squad, whichever right. name you prefer? Uh, but I do like on page two thirty-nine, you get to see those Avengers ID cards, um, identity cards getting thrown in. Now I even looked this up. That is Ronald Reagan's autograph. Oh, like, really? Is it? Actually, yeah, yeah. They made sure to to copy exactly how he signs his name uh, with those distinctive R's. Because I was curious. I'm like, well, how did how do they know? Did they look that up? And yep, they did their research there. That's funny. So I don't know if that was the artist or the the letterer, but <laughs> they did a good job with that. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, as you said, they're in Leonia, New Jersey, uh, which is just outside of of New York City. Um, and that is where their previous house was that had had gone away, uh, burned down by bigots in the in the neighborhood, which, you know, might or might not show up again in this Vision and Scarlet Witch series. I guess we'll have to wait and find out. Yes, that's right. All right, shall we move on to West Coast Two? Sure. So this one's called Sons. Uh, West Coast Avengers One was teammates, then lovers, then sons, um, and this is absolutely continuing. Now, this story, the cover alone, it, it, there's a lot. <laughs> there's just a, a bunch of characters all on the cover, which it's a great-looking cover with the classic floating heads that Avengers comics tended to do. Um, but this one, uh, so basically West Coast Avengers, they team up with Vision and Wanda to get to the bottom of whatever it is, the Grim Reaper and this uh, group, which they're part of the Lethal Legion, but they're never name-dropped the Lethal Legion in here, and I wish they would have. Um, just to, you know, I like I like having things with names in comic books. <laughs> yeah, there's no reason why they couldn't team. be. Right. Otherwise, it's just a, a band of goons. But um, it's revealed that they, they, they want Simon and they want Vision. And the West Coast team is trying to figure out why. And they actually go and visit Simon Williams' mom, uh, where in this kind of interesting human moment, the Vision realizes that she's his mom as well. And she doesn't miss a beat. She instantly 
hugs him and and welcomes him as another son of hers. And she kind of talks a little bit about Eric, uh, a.k.a. the Grim Reaper, how he kind of lost his way a little bit. And she she wants the Avengers and Vision to give her back her sons, which is all kind of, I don't know, it's it's kind of heartwarming yeah. of a moment. Because it's, it's very human to, to deal with a, a mom who has a superhero and a supervillain for kids. Yeah, especially one that's like he's a supervillain and the other, another is an embezzler. It's like, right, yeah, they, they weren't the greatest and. And they make a reference, I don't know if it's this specific issue, but during this course of stuff, Steve Englehart makes it a point to explain that the vision is a human brain with a synthetic everything else. Yeah. And they make they, they talk about how it's like having, you know, if you you didn't have an arm, so you got a synthetic arm put on. It's it, except it's his whole body that's synthetic. And it he's written incredibly human, uh, probably more so than in uh, anything I've read up to that point. Um, and you know, yeah, he's it's, laughing it's, and joking and showing all of these emotions. Yeah, right. Yep, yep. You don't unless they say, "Oh, I'm an android." You don't realize he's an android. Quite honestly, he's he's very human. Uh, which kind of is like he doesn't actually have a real brain because he was right. Like you know, in the previous story, he was merged with a supercomputer. So like a supercomputer is right. not going to merge with a real brain like that. It's got to be a robot brain. Well, apparently he had what was it like a control crystal in his head that he ripped out. And that's how he got out from under the control of Isaac, the supercomputer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then they're kind of referencing how, okay, without that control crystal, it almost like it took away some of his other more robotic personality, you know, moments yep. or whatever. Um, you know, comic book science, you know, it all yeah, makes sense. Yeah, of course. Sense. Yep, that's right. <laughs> uh, so the cover to number two here, uh, a lot of these early West Coast Avengers covers are tribute covers. Uh, referencing past covers. So the original Avengers number nine, which was the first appearance of Simon, uh, of Power, mm -hmm. of uh, Wonder Man, was pretty much this cover. It has the floating Avengers yes. heads uh, above it. It has all of the villains gathered at the bottom and it has Wonder Man trapped in a beam of light in the middle. It's kind of, it's not, it's not as direct of a reference as some of these other tribute covers are, but it's definitely a reference to Avengers number nine. Yeah, I... Absolutely, yeah, and I mean, obviously, with Wonder Man still the focal point in the center of yep. the, of the page, um, yeah, that makes that makes total sense. There's just more characters to fit on here. <laughs> yes, that's for sure. Man, there are a lot. There's one, two, three, four, five. There's six villains in this mm -hmm. one book here, uh, along with the uh, six Avengers characters. Six, seven, five, yeah. six, seven, eight. <laughs> there's eight. If you count him, there's eight Avengers on here. <laughs> Yeah, there's a there's a lot going on, but it's still for some reason it doesn't look crowded. Like it's you can tell exactly what's happening. Yeah, it's a good layout. Um, yeah, uh, so there's still some storytelling going on with this cover, despite the amount of characters. And I think in later years, like certainly into the '90s, a lot of times I'll oh, throw a bunch of people on a cover. They're all doing a pose. They're all coming at you. Right. Uh, there's no story. This is actually still telling the story, which is a testament to the storytelling that these these artists were able to do. For sure. Because there's no words on the cover. There's no cover blurb or word balloon or anything. There's one point in this issue where the Grim Reaper shows that he is um, prejudiced against African-Americans. Yes. I thought this was... I, I don't know much about Grim Reaper at all, really, um, but I didn't know that this was part of his character or if this is I just never, for this story. I never noticed it in the stuff I've read of him uh, from his early appearances throughout the 60s. Um, I mean, he was a bad guy. It makes sense to showcase, I mean, this guy's a supervillain, uh, that he isn't exactly all about, you know, everybody. I mean, it's it's kind of a, a trait that you would associate with a bad guy. 
Um, so, and it works here well because he has technically because Necra says how she's um, black as well, even though she's a, an albino. Right. Um, and you know they supposedly love each other, and and he even says something like, "Don't say that. Don't say that you're," you know. So it it's played really well because it's it's there, but it's not in your face. Certainly, they're not using any any really bad words or anything as as you couldn't, but you get the point across. And I think again, that's that's a testament to Steve's writing that. Okay, you get what's going on here. You can read between the lines to the point where Manape and, and Black Talon specifically, they're like, uh, forget this guy. We're, we're only here in, until we got to get out of here type of thing. It was, it's strange that Grim Reaper would hire them in the first place or partner with them if he doesn't really want to have anything to do with black people. Right. I mean, he, yeah, exactly. And I think he, you know, he acts. Um, he definitely acts you know, like a superior to them. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so that's part of it, and the, the I found it very interesting. You already mentioned that he he doesn't view Necra as as a black person because of her skin color and such. So his uh-huh. issue isn't. It is purely based on appearance. Purely based on appearance. Right. It's not even from the fact that you know what the, whatever their family history is or whatever country they come from. Uh, right. It is an incredibly bigoted way of, of viewing because um, because he doesn't view a black person as a black person <laughs> because their skin is albino. Right. Right. And it and it sets the stage for, you know, because this this is kind of a what should be an incredibly formidable team, quite honestly. I mean, yeah. even even Black Talon, you know, the dude can dress like a chicken, but he has an army of zombies. So that's right. You know, <laughs> you, 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 you weigh those um, pages. But it all falls uh, two, apart. Yes, exactly. Uh, 278 and 279, we get a nice, uh, again, a little history lesson this time on Power Man. Um, I'm sorry. Now you got me doing it. Wonder I know. Man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, on page 279, that second panel. Now, this obviously was, was not in the old comic in issue 9 of Avengers, but we see Hank and Thor and Tony working together to try and, and come up with a cure for Simon. Well, there's Tony without a helmet on, and there's you know Way Ant Man, Giant Man, yeah, as Pym. That that wouldn't have been the case. Uh, they because they we just talked about it. They didn't know their identities for a very long. They would have been doing this in full costume. I'm uh, guessing that they, they are all they're all in separate rooms, and they just put them together oh, right. for okay. this montage right here. It's so, a, mon- it's a, yeah. it's a collage. Okay. <laughs> where's where's my uh, no I prize? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I do like that Thor is looking at what looks like you know cells. Uh, but he should be doing that as Don Blake because he is a medical yeah, doctor. Right. Yeah. So, but that's kind of a nice little, re- very, very subtle reference to the fact that you know he he does know what he's looking at there. Right. Huh, um, that is interesting. So I wanted I wanted to make a, a point with that. And the other thing that I wanted to, that I just think is funny is page two eighty five. Uh, the top panel it shows Grim Reaper and Necra, you know, lounging and and getting familiar. I like that he rests his uh, his weapon on a pillow. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's like, uh, oh, I need I need a pillow for my Reaper. You know, I, it's just very funny. <laughs> you think that, like, I, I don't know if there's a real hand under there or if it's just a stump or whatever, but, like, I take, can't remember if, take if off the weapon removed. if you're going to have yeah. some fun time with your woman, you know? <laughs> yeah, you're going you're gonna to slice a dice on accident. That's yeah. not good. Nope, not good at all. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of a funny villain. Yeah, I mean, he's... You know he's he's an interesting design. I like the skull and crossbones. The head gear he has kind of these Galactus things coming off of his mask. Uh, never really made sense. I mean, it kind of would have just made sense for him to have a hood, you know, to kind of right. further the idea of Grim Reaper. But um, the uh, 
the other thing that is also pretty interesting here. Now we we have to keep dealing with Simon, uh, at least in these earlier issues, having low uh, self esteem or yeah, at least right. uh, uh, like not a very high opinion of himself, uh, filled with self doubt. And we actually get this pep talk by Henry Pym, who has quite frankly been through the ringer. I mean, he's he's gone through you know a divorce and he, he you know all the stuff that happened that that led to his court martial. Uh, but he's still ticking, and he's still trying to to fight the good fight in his own way. And here he is giving Simon this pep talk, which actually ends up working uh, in the next issue. But to, for it to come from this guy, uh, I think, holds more weight. Like Captain America giving a pep talk, it's like, well, yeah, you're Captain America. But here's a guy who struggled forever with you know an inferiority complex and everything else like uh, I, I think there's I think this is really well done it's interesting that to me that Simon is an indestructible guy and he's mm-hmm. a stunt man so he puts himself in danger all the time but he's actually afraid of death because um, yeah because that was a that was a big part of his storyline there for a while and then when he did come back uh, where we referenced it before in, in those Avengers issues uh, I think even then he was kind of freaked out by it. He he was struggling with the concept that I'm alive now. I was dead. I missed so much. Yep. But there's a there's a, a a double meaning here as well because not only is he you know he's down on himself. He's he's not sure who he is because he's alive and he was dead. Uh, he's you know he's made up of energy, so he doesn't know that. Um, but also he thinks like he knows that he's a bad person. He's plagued with this guilt of being the embezzler and being a, a, a right. fraud, and he's afraid that um, that that's going to come back and, and bite him in the butt, right? And so if he says he's afraid of death, I also think he's afraid of his brother, who is the Grim Reaper. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, that so makes sense. There's a, there's a double meaning here, I think, just of the uncertainty of Simon Williams' life, v- both physically and, and mentally, um, that he's he's just afraid of everything, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and I, I like that. I like that we work through this during the course of the rest of this epic collection, yep. only because after a while it's kind of like all right you know come on right you, you, you gotta yeah you're you're an avenger for god's sakes and he he gets to that point which is which makes for good storytelling again this is something that i think steve Egglehart does very well is uh the, these character moments is what drives these comics more so than the action or the fighting it's it's these interpersonal relationships and that's that's marvel comics i mean that's what stan brought to the table originally yep for sure is your pages are your pages 290 291 faded in your epic uh no they are not so yeah this oh. is something that we should mention if you for some reason didn't listen to our last episode this this epic collection is one of the infamous quad books which means it was printed by a company called quad graphics who did less than stellar work for a number of epic collections that came out around the same time. And this one, one of the issues is that the black line doesn't print well on several mm-hmm. of the pages in this book. It affects, t- you said 290 and 291? Yeah, it's it's not as bad as I've seen online, but it's faded where all the blacks are grays. You could still read it, but you miss a lot of the shading, like especially on Hawkeye and Iron Man that require a lot of the, the black inks. Yeah, I know that page 318 and 319 are also pages that got affected by that similar problem. Uh, some oh of yeah, mine is in this one. Yeah, some of them are so faded that you can't even make out any of the words in the word balloons. 
But I decided, uh, you know, you can't tell when you're ordering online if it's going to have these issues. So I had to go to an actual comic book store and I looked at these pages specifically to make mm-hmm. sure that this copy was okay. And it is. The That issue is not one that plagues every single issue or every single copy that's out there. Yeah, I, I have a ver- I have a readable copy, but I probably will end up getting the, the reprint just because. So the, we talked about Joe Sinnott inking. I, I, I want to see that. <laughs> Yeah, right, exactly. Okay, well, let's keep on going over to Vision Scarlet Witch number two. Number two, yep. This one's called Brothers. So we had teammates, lovers, sons, brothers. These are all the family connections within the whole Pim Williams Vision kind of family group here. (laughs) Ultron. Yep. Uh, So in this issue, Eric, who's the Grim Reaper, that's his name, is about to body swap Simon, like get Simon's brain into the actual physical body of Simon, uh, which I'm not exactly sure where they got. That's like the Black Talon dug it up somewhere. Yes. Yeah. And and he has an uncanny resemblance to Simon. Oh, yeah. It's not even Simon's actual body. It's a guy that just looks enough like Simon that they could do minimal reconstructive surgery to just make it look like Simon. So they're going to take the the brain that's in the ionic uh, Wonder Man body and put it in actual physical body, thus restoring his brother and he won't be a freak anymore. Yeah. He wants to take what he wants to take from Simon and Vision and whatever filter out anything that wasn't Simon from both of them and put that whatever's left into this dead mobster that looks like Simon Williams so that he could get his brother back supposedly. <laughs> yeah. So, so convoluted, but through the course yes. of this, this issue here, they battle Ultron. Um, they escape the, most of the characters escape from their, uh, whatever this glowing mystical red prison that they're in. <laughs> and, and then they have to split up into different directions to go after these guys. And so it's very fitting. Of course, Simon and vision team up and they're mm-hmm. going to go after uh, their brother brother, uh, Grim Reaper. There's a very, very touching moment where they start to talk. And I think this is the first time they have a real conversation mm-hmm. about where they stand with each other and how they're related to each other and how they now accept each other as brothers, not just brothers, but they're essentially twins. Like they share the right. same memories up to a certain point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, uh, that, what is it? 311 shows the, you know, they, they hug, you know, they, they there's a man hug there and yeah, uh, I don't know. It's 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 very touching, and it's also it's you know knowing the history going forward. Uh, you know, with these various characters and various other writers taking it on, um, I'm curious what Steve Englehart feels uh, with some of that because he spent a lot of time, it seems, really grounding not only this connection but just making Vision very human to begin with in order to have family members. Right. Um, so I'm curious what he would have to say in regards to that because it, it basically his stuff eventually gets somewhat undone, which is unfortunate. Yeah, it, it is unfortunate. And I think that most writers kind of refuse to read the stuff that comes after for that very reason. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't blame them. I mean, I, you know, the, the, these are this is an entertainment form that is constantly moving forward. It's a soap opera, quite honestly, and you know, soap operas do that. They, they these characters do one eighty turns all the times in soap operas. That's what happens in comics as well. But this is nice for the moment. This is nice. <laughs> 
So everything ends up okay at the end. Uh, Grim Reaper supposedly or seemingly falls to his death. So we think that Mm -hmm. he's out of the picture here. Um, Of course, no one ever really dies in comics. So we'll see him again at some point. Mm -hmm. And at the very end, Vision and Scarlet Witch decide that the next logical step in their relationship now that they're married is to have kids. And especially with this whole thing about brothers and mothers and everything, it's like Mm -hmm. they realize the importance of having a kid themselves. And it's vision that that brings it yes. up to Wanda, right? And and she's she's uh, you know noticeably shocked by the suggestion because she probably just always thought, well, that's never going to be for us, so whatever. And yep. he's the one that's like, no, let's have a kid. <laughs> it's just kind of you know, it, it makes sense having read all of these. That again, this is the vision we have now. Uh, we have a very human version. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, to, to have him be the one that makes the suggestion shows. That, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's not thinking logically. He's thinking right. emotionally. A uh, couple things I wanted to make mention. Those uh, those force field bubbles you talked about, the, the red energy. Yep, uh, yep. I loved those. I think that was so <laughs> interesting of a visual. Because usually, how many times have we seen it in comics, especially up to this point, where the villain captures them, they just put them in these big glass tubes. True. They always have yep. a row of glass tubes that they put <laughs> superheroes in. <laughs> right. uh, this, was, this was different. This was a really cool uh, visual on that. And I also liked uh, page 307, how uh, Mockingbird busts him out and gets um, – she gives Hawkeye his bow and arrows. I just think that's a nice little, I don't know, husband-wife moment. Like she knows I got to get him these. I, I don't know. I just like that for some reason. Okay. You ready to move on to the next one? Yes, uh, which we are doing West Coast Avengers number, number three. three. We're, leaving, we're leaving Vision and Scarlet Witch for now. Um, this one basically deals with the aftermath of that battle with Grim Reaper and, you know, his lethal legion there. Um, Tigra expresses her, you know, basically low opinion of herself as an Avenger. She feels that she wasn't very effective in all of that that was going on. Uh, she goes out on her own and, um, she actually ends up having a fight, which is actually technically a rematch with Kraven the Hunter, the Spider-Man villain. Um, and in the end, she ends up kind of learning she is better for being part of a team, so it's kind of a uh, it's kind of a tigress centric issue, but it it's working with her own self doubts. Uh, this is something that keeps going kind of back and forth between Wonder Man and Tigra. And this was uh, this this was kind of her stepping up a little bit into realizing that she is uh, in a good spot right now. Yeah, I really liked her dialogue and her character development in here because uh, they and they and they point out a moment in the last issue that I didn't even realize was a, such a big deal. But yeah, she actually thought she messed up by attacking Ultron, which ended up giving him more power. And so by drawing right. that uh, that out in this issue, uh, we see that, yeah, she's very, very insecure with who she is. And uh, there's plenty of room for her character uh, to grow. And just by talking through with a bunch of different people here, uh, comes to realize her worth. And I think that's cool. And that's not the end of her story. Like, that was just one little bit of right. the issues that she has. And it's it's only scratching the surface of where she's going to go now. Um, okay, a couple things I wanted to mention. Uh, we once again get the West Coast Avengers taking Goliath into custody. <laughs> so he's going to be back locked up at the compound again. <laughs> yes. Basically, 322, 323, we get Tigra kind of stalking the city of, of L.A. looking for, you know, she, she finds a crime going on. She goes and jumps it. And he makes he makes a mention. And there's a little footnote. Marvel Chillers number four and Marvel Team Up number 67. So this is actually their third run-in, which becomes their third fight. Um, 
So I didn't realize that Craven was just as much a Tigra villain as, as he was a, uh, a Spider-Man villain. I guess so, yeah. It makes sense because he goes after the very animalistic type of characters. Yes, yeah. I think there was still some potential with the character had he not gone the way of Craven's last hunt, which right. I wanted to say, this is the last major appearance of Craven before that. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah, he's seen briefly in like Secret Wars 2 in the background, and I think there was one other little minor appearance like that for him. Uh, but this is his last major appearance where he's an active part of the story. And then we go from here to the events of, of Craven's Last Hunt, which this is kind of, you know, the last time we see him as like a normal Marvel supervillain, <laughs> which is kind of weird, to be quite honest. That really emphasizes the contrast between sort of the Bronze Age writing and modern age writing. Uh, when yeah. you think of Craven in this, like this is classic Craven, and then mm-hmm. Craven's Last Hunt was kind of like the, the birth of modern comics. In, in just the terms of the, the the way that stories are told, the depth of the characters and everything, it's just a yeah, it's a wild. six-parter. You know, it's it took six issues to tell that story, which definitely became the norm going forward. With uh, you know, not drawn-out stories, but with specific storylines that cross over like that. Yeah. Um, you know, we kind of get away from the single issues. There's a that's a tangent we don't need to get into here. <laughs> Otherwise, right, right, we'll go on forever. Uh, so what I wanted to mention in this in this one is that I feel like there is um, a lot of kind of this sexual tension between Tigra and Craven as they fight. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not just a, it's just not, not just a fight for him. And little references is like, you know, it's a shame I don't have my slave collar for your pretty neck this time. Like things like that. It's like, <laughs> it, it makes you want to, to, to kind of read those other ones and see what, what happened between the two. Maybe they were, maybe they were kind of like a, you know, an item of sorts uh, back when she was more, you know, they, they didn't know what to do with her uh, at the time. Yeah, um, those issues are collected in a Tigra Complete collection, actually. So uh, we'll have to check that out sometime and see. I don't have that book yet. That's all right. You just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> um, at the bottom of page 335, the second to last panel, that is Scourge. Yes, I was going to mention that too. Yeah, Scourge of the Underworld in disguise. He was going to take out Craven here. <laughs> if if Tiger wasn't around, he would have killed Craven, and we would have never got Craven's last hunt. <laughs> that reminds me also that in um, Iron Man number two thirty nine, um, or is it two forty? Maybe it's the issue after that. But um, Scourge of the Underworld is there in that issue too. Let me just double check that. Yeah, I, that was one of my favorite things Marvel did of this period was this whole Scourge. I believe was probably Mark Grunewald's idea. It was in one ninety four. So yeah, we didn't mm. we didn't talk about that here, but yeah, it's it's really cool how he just pops up in all of the different titles, mm-hmm. and uh, and that whole story is told in the pages of Captain America. Couple things I just want to mention real quick. Page three thirty seven, uh, last panel. I like how Mockingbird has a nice little zinger on Hawkeye. Uh, saying that you think I haven't made mistakes on occasion, and Hawkeye's the world record holder. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's very that's very wife like. Like uh, I I don't know about you, but my wife gets in zingers all the time because it's just you know, guys tend to think that you know they're <laughs> they're the ones in charge, and then <laughs> usually the wife's like, oh well, actually, and you know, little zingers like that. So I really like that. And, of course, the, the final page, the, the way that this ends. Wait, just before you go on, I just want to say that also. Oh, sure. Also on page number 328, when uh, they're, on, they're walking on the beach, and he says, Yes. 
You know, Bobby Barton, since we got married, I've never thought about any other woman. And then they kiss. Except, of course, for Tigra. Yeah. <laughs> and then she's yeah. like, you big bozo, and she but throws he, sand he, in his face. <laughs> yep. He, he switched back into uh, into uh, Avengers chairman mode there. But yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah that was that was funny. Just I, a funny I've always liked moment. I've always liked the two of them. And I, I, I thought that they the writers that handled the two of them really handled, I think, you know, a married couple, quite honestly, because they they clearly love each other, but they they send barbs there to each other's way, which is really good. Yeah. Um, but uh, then, of course, the the final page here, the way that this issue ends, we get uh, we get the thing. Uh, he's he's back from Battle World, from Secret Wars. He's hanging out in California, and he shows up at the compound, and and Hawkeye's wheels start spinning. You know, Benji, old buddy, have I got a deal for you? And that's how it ends. <laughs> no, that was editorial, actually. Um, the thing had quit the Fantastic Four at that point in in Fantastic Four continuity, yeah. and so when I got the West Coast Avengers, Mark Grunwald said, "We want the thing in here for a year. He's going to be he's going to be yours for a year." Oh wow! So he was there for a year, and then he went back to the Fantastic Four. He's a professional wrestler at the time. Yes, he has joined a special wrestling league that has no limits. Uh, it's for superpowered wrestlers, so like they're so they they don't hurt each other in the way that if they oh. were to wrestle normal people. Uh, so that's oh, was that unlimited. Yeah, unlimited. That's Is right. That yeah, yeah, yeah. It? Yep. And so that's what's going on in the Thing ongoing series at the time. He has his own series. He's not part of the Fantastic mm-hmm. Four. And yeah, he just strolls in here and I love it. It's like, I just knocked on the first door after my my, yeah. my bike got a flat and like, it's you guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. I, it was, it, the Thing has always been one of my favorites and, and I, you know, love seeing him here. And I love the, the back and forth between him and Hawkeye going forward, which we might as well move forward. West Coast Avengers number four. Yep. Uh, is this you or me? Uh, I think I can do this one here. Master Pandemonium. We have mm-hmm. a we have the introduction to two new characters. One of them is brand new, and the other is fairly new. And the these two characters are Firebird and Master Pandemonium. Firebird uh, originally appeared in um, an issue of the Hulk a few years before this, and she is a she's um. She's a Latino character who has mm-hmm. some sort of fire powers. It's not really explained how she got her powers or what her powers even do. Uh, it kind of they kind of just make it up as they go along. Um, but she can fly. She is kind of like the Human Torch and the Phoenix mixed together. I think. Yeah, that's that's the same vibe I got. They they do eventually down the road. They kind of define it a bit more. Uh, but yeah, it's it's very kind of ambiguous. She just has fire powers pretty much. Yeah. And she joined up with a team um, that consisted of a bunch of kind of cowboy characters and um, and the, Lone Wolf uh, as well. What, what? <laughs> oh, Red Wolf. The, they were called the Rangers. Red Wolf and, yes, Texas Twister. <laughs> Texas Twister. So there is, um, in Canada, we got a, 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 a short series of anti-drug PSA comics starring Spider-Man. And they're they're collected in I think there's yeah Spidey fights substance abuse a trade paperback called Spidey fights substance abuse and there is one oh, issue okay. in there where uh, Spidey goes to the Calgary Stampede in Alberta and mm-hmm. the these guys the Rangers minus Firebird she's not there but Texas Twister and them um, they're in that issue and I had that issue really? as a kid and I remember <laughs> these characters from that issue but Firebird I've never heard of before really. Well, it's it's great that you know there's this 
little reference because th- that was her only appearance prior to this was uh, Incredible Hulk 265. Right. And that was when she was on that team. And I know Marvel kind of brought them back kind of during that whole Avengers initiative after uh, after Civil War and all that. But I don't think they ever really did anything with them. No, they and, kind of brought uh, back I don't know. hundreds and hundreds of these one-time characters for that and never yep. we never saw them again. As far as Firebird goes, that's something I sort of look back on with a with a skeptical eye. Um, <laughs> in the 80s, conservatives were starting to say, well, how come nobody ever pays any attention to our ideas? I think today we can understand why nobody pays any attention to their ideas. But at the time, it seemed like, oh, yeah, I guess we're not treating them fairly. So I got a letter from somebody who said, you know, I'm a I'm a Christian and there's never any Christians in comics that are, you know, that aren't evil behind the scenes or something. And I thought, yeah, that's right. You know, I should, you know, I, I claim that I can sort of write anybody. I should come up with a credible Christian character. And so I did. I have no problem with Firebird as a character. I fault myself for sort of falling <laughs> for the oh, nobody treats us fairly um, concept. (laughs) But she was all right. The interesting thing was, um, you know, she was supposed to be really a serious Catholic. And Al Milgram is Jewish, you know, and and quite happy to be so. So I don't think he ever quite understood, no more than I did, because I'm not Catholic either. But I mean, (laughs) you know, I don't know that we totally understood so she she tended to wear robes a lot, and when she first showed up, she was wearing those white robes and so forth. Right. But she was a work in progress. But I mean, you know, I I feel like I did justice to her. I feel like if that's the character that that I'm creating here, I feel like I gave her a good storyline. And in fact, I'm you know I'm quite happy with the whole Lost in Space Time uh, sequence. Yeah. In which she was a major player. But I, you know, the the origin, the the behind the scenes origin story of Firebird makes me sort of grit my teeth now. (laughs) But she has some sort of thing with Pandemonium right now. Pandemonium has been chasing her. And Master Pandemonium is a new Uh character created by Steve Englehart. And I actually have a clip of him talking about creating this character. So I'll stick that in here. Master Pandemonium was inspired by Doctor Doom. I wanted a Doctor Doom-like character. And, uh, you know, Dr. Master, the, you know, the name. <laughs> yeah. kind of went, but I was but I was thinking I had read something about pandemonium, which means lots of demons, all demons. And, you know, I had this idea that this guy was sort of made up of demons. And I thought that that would give him an ambiance kind of like Dr. Doom. I mean, you know, you can't ever replicate anything directly, but I thought it would put him in the same ballpark. Pandemonium is an odd character. I love the visual design of him just losing limbs because they become demons and, yep. and start attacking people. It's kind of funny. This, it's really cool. This is a this is like a textbook Defenders villain. You know, you're, it's surprising yeah. that he's here. It, this this is something the Defenders would have been all about. Um, right. But you know, it, he, obviously Steve wasn't writing that. He was writing this. Um, yeah, Master Pandemonium, very very odd power, but also kind of cool that he's just filled with demons. Like, there's a lot of promise with him to. You could really go creepy with him uh, in like modern day. Uh, you could really do you could do a whole series uh, about him, quite honestly, because there's a lot of potential there to the right writer. Absolutely. 
But yeah, I mean, he's full on super villain here. Yeah, he, we don't see him a whole lot anymore. Um, through this here, uh, Hawkeye is hilarious. I love his banter with the thing. Yes. You, you mentioned this before. He just, he, every time he asks Ben over and over, will you join the team? And Ben's like, no, <laughs> yeah. I won't. Stop asking me. And he's like, sorry, I didn't hear what you said, Ben. Or, you know, fun, funny yeah. things like that. It's like, you can uh, you can give me your answer tomorrow. That's fine. Yeah. And he always says it with a smile, <laughs> you know a complete jerk but that's just great because it almost shows like a friendship there because obviously they've been they've both been in the marvel universe for quite some time yeah one other thing i wanted to mention here is the tigra is kind of mean to hank on page 353 um she she is in behind the scenes in these past few issues has been slowly kind of Mm -hmm. getting a little bit more um edgy and uh, f- f- you know, flirty with different characters or whatever, and and she just says to Hank, "Careful, Hank. Remember, you're not our sixth member, so this doesn't concern you." <laughs> it's like, yeah. wow. Yeah. It's like it's like one issue ago, you were like, "I'm an, I'm a failure as an Avenger." Now all of a sudden, you're like, you know, doing that. But it makes sense because that he's playing up the concept that cats are, you know, they they want your affection up to a certain point, and then they'll scratch your eyes out. So. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And, and it's it's clever. It's a clever way to do it. Um, there's kind of an underlying thing going on here where, uh, and I, we did not mention it about last, I think it was last issue, Pim had a proposition to Hawkeye that he wants to be here as, not as a sixth member, but as kind of almost like a Jarvis, but not, not that. He just wants to be like a resident kind of scientist. He'll answer the phones. He'll kind of manage the team a little bit. Um, and he's making it a point to always run to the phone when it rings, and he, we we find out that Ultron is is calling him, um, and just kind of you know creepily you know breathing yeah. into the phone or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so that's kind of that kind of happens a little bit until it finally comes out what's going on there. And the other kind of startling moment in this issue again is a character moment. Uh, Wonder Man and Simon Williams goes on the Johnny Carson show, right? Uh, the late night, and he publicly declares without the Avengers consent that he was the one that was the embezzler. Uh, you know, this thing that you had talked about earlier where he, you know, this is part of his problem that he's like, but at the, at the root of things I screwed up and I, I never took my lumps for it. Um, he decides he's got to do it. And he's like, whatever happens, happens. This is a weight off my shoulders. And that comes into play the next issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we get to see Ben in his wrestling league a little bit here on page 356 yep. as Pandemonium attacks. Uh, and I love all of these demons that come out of him. It's just, it's a lot of fun. I'm sure that Milgram had a great time. Or maybe this is a terrible thing. Maybe like having to draw uh, millions of different looking demons is, is a pain in the neck. But uh, they did a good job of it. I'm glad that they did it because a lot of times you, you could see a lot of the same thing when they draw stuff like that. But I like that they, it, it, there's at least some effort made to make these things look different. Yep. And I'm curious if, if Joe Sinnott had added little tweaks to that as well. It's tough to say. Yeah, it is. I don't know. Um, one thing we didn't mention that I think happens in this issue, the thing gives the team a nickname where yeah. he calls them the wackos. That's right. On page 362. <laughs> um, oh, was it? Okay. Yeah, he uh, he calls them the Wackos, and you know it's kind of a name that sort of stuck yep. uh, throughout the years, even though and it doesn't quite make a whole lot of sense because it's W C A, not W A C for the initials. So you know, but he still calls them the Wackos, and uh, it's it's kind of endearing, kind of like Cap's kooky quartet from the '60s. Right, and then in the next volume, we'll see that they uh, uh, the the West Coast and the East Coast teams join up for a baseball game, and they're the Wackos, and the East Coast team are the Echoes. <laughs> there we go. 
Yeah. So, West Coast, Coast Avengers, Avengers number, five. number five, ins and outs. Yeah, the West Coast Avengers seek the help of uh, Jack Russell to find the cat people. So, yeah, there's two stories here that are going on here. Uh, one mm-hmm. is that Tigra has been increasingly more and more cat-like. She feels like the cat part of her uh, soul is taking over, and they need to find the cat people to help her kind of regain a balance in her in herself. And they know that uh, that the that Jack Russell, the werewolf, has tangled with the cat people, so they go and try and find him. And on the other end, uh, Firebird, who is now, she's not on the Avengers. So she goes off on her own mission to try and find Master Pandemonium, seeks out mm-hmm. um, this guy in an occult store. And the occult store is saying, uh, the book that you're looking for that will have your answers is, is called The Darkhold. And it's per, it's in the possession of uh, someone named Jack Russell. So they they both end up looking for Jack Russell at the same time. Or, or, or so they so, so they, they think. think. Uh, yes, that's a, right. Yeah, there's a footnote that I guess Doctor Strange has The Darkhold at this point. That's right. Um, and the Darkhold, I mean, that is something that's been around since, what, at least the early 70s in yeah, Marvel. It was created f- in the Werewolf by Night book uh, uh, series. It was a very major part of Werewolf by Night uh, for many, many okay. years. And then, yeah, it's kind of floated over to um, the rest, to, to the other occult kind of characters of the Marvel Universe and had a big role in the Midnight Suns era in the 90s. That's right. This cover of West Coast Avengers number five is another uh, tribute cover to Moon Knight number 29, uh, which also had just kind of the glowing eyes and teeth of the werewolf. Yeah, it looks really good. Whenever you get covers that are all black, uh, obviously always makes the characters pop and usually are also tough to find in good condition because the black shows up creases and 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 everything. uh, Yeah, for sure. Yep, it it looks sharp in, in the Epic Collection for sure. Uh, with all the drool coming out and all that. Um, as far as the plot of this issue, I found that it was mainly setting up a lot of plot points that are going to be paid off a little bit later. Uh, because the they do tangle with the werewolf at one point, but that ends up being a um, uh, it ends up being a dead end for both of their stories because he doesn't have the dark hold, mm-hmm. and also when he was with the cat people, he was in his werewolf form. So you know when he when Jack Russell is in his human form, he doesn't have any memory of what happened to him as a wolf. Yeah, and he looks much much more bestial in this appearance, and I, I haven't read all of Werewolf by Night, so I don't know how it ends, if he ends looking way more like a wolf like this. It depends um, on the artist's interpretation. So in the series okay. at the end of Werewolf by Night, he he looks like his, you know, a, a wolf man. Um, but then okay. when he appeared in his story in Moon Knight and was drawn by Bill Sienkiewicz... He looked uh, like this. So I think this is just carrying think, on from that. And I think we see him in this more of this look as well when uh, they do that whole Cap Wolf storyline uh, in Captain America because they have a bunch of wolf characters. Right. I remember seeing him like that there, and I'm, I was always curious when that change happened. So, yeah, maybe it was just simply the— I think it was uh, Moon Knight, Bill, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, a couple things here. Uh, we get the further—well, we actually get more of the reveal that this guy that's been calling— Avengers compound and messing with Hank is indeed Ultron 12. So that's kind of been now confirmed and, you know, that's building up to, to a a future issue here. And we also get Tigra. I mean, it looks like she goes all the way with wonder man and then she goes all the way with Hank Pym. Yeah. And the, the bottom of page 375, that panel makes me crack up where, you know, they're getting close on the couch and then you just see wonder man walking by, you know, probably whistling (laughs) a tune thinking everything's great yep that's right (laughs) 
it's just such a funny panel. That's the soap opera drama that you that you come for here. It's really yep. good. Yep. But it's also like we're trying to establish that she has more of her feral instincts, I guess. She's a cat in heat and will just uh Right. Uh, that's that side of her kind of taking over. And I suppose we should mention Morbius is in this as well. Yeah, he actually is the linchpin here because he is the one who is who has ties to the cat people. It's amazing how much the cat people get around. Actually, they. Uh, <laughs> I know. It's like they, exactly. He, and he's Morbius's ongoing series back in the pages of Adventures into Fear in the seventies was a bizarre mm-hmm. thing because he yes he was a vampire but he really didn't do a whole lot of vampire type things. His his series was filled with science fiction and fantasy and going to like outer space and it was bizarre and so yeah he spent time with the cat people there and had an adventure there in those pages ah <laughs> uh, the cat people yeah it's kind of funny how much they keep getting referenced i mean it's directly related because of tigra um i do look forward to reading those morbius tales that that i, I don't know i've never read them and 70s marvel can often be pretty off the wall um yep so yeah, but apparently in here he looks like he's just helping Jack Russell through his issues. He looks almost like a a normal guy again, kind of. Uh, so I'm curious what the storyline is there. How he went from you know white skinned and flying around to wearing a suit and having normal colored skin again. Yeah, but um, I'm sure it's told there was some sort of cure. At, at it'll be in the Morbius Epic Collection when we get that. Yeah. Yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, and there's also, you talked about Firebird here. She's made mention now a couple times how she wishes they would ask her to join the Avengers. Because Hawkeye's all about, oh, we got to get we gotta get Ben on the team. That's all muscle. And, and she keeps kind of getting a little hurt by that. She's like, oh, if only they'd ask me. So Eventually, maybe they will. We'll find out. Maybe they will. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I love the game that they're playing here because... I think that uh, Steve is purposely putting a few people in the place that could be a potential sixth member and keeping us guessing mm-hmm. as to which will actually be the one that, that joins the team. Right, right, yeah. Um, and, and he's just he's good with the subplots. And I, I believe I read an interview with him, and maybe you talked to him about it, where he never really plotted things out way super in advance, but he always liked to give himself little things to maybe play with a little down the road. Yeah. And you can see that in, in I mean, his all of his writings, he does stuff like that, but, um, you know, that definitely see it in here. Uh, all right. Well, shall we move on? Yes, let's move on. Okay. West Coast Avengers number six called Quest for Cats. <laughs> here we get the West Coast Avengers minus Wonder Man and Iron Man. Both are out. Iron Man actually got banged up pretty bad by the werewolf. I guess he like actually reached into his eye, so- uh, eye slits in his helmet and scratched him up. Yeah, it's like why don't more people do that? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I mean, it, they're they're wide open. You always see his eyeballs. Yeah, but he so, also said uh, that the shielding came down because he has the shielding that protects his yeah. eyes. It came down on the wolf's fingers and pinched him. So then he, the wolf ran away, <laughs> but he still was able to to do some damage. I mean, he should be blind. I, I don't. The, the eyes are right there, and those claws <laughs> yeah. should have gone in him, but. Right, <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, but so instead, Thing and Firebird go with the Avengers in this uh, adventure to the land within, which is where this race of cat people live. Which I'm guessing is some sort of subterranean world, but it could also be a mystical uh, place that maybe doesn't necessarily exist in the physical, you know, universe. It's revealed in Fantastic Four later on oh, okay. that it's underground. Okay, all yeah. right. So it is underground. Yeah. So underground cat people, that makes sense. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's even better than before uh, now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, 
Uh, and then while this is all happening, Pym hangs out uh, basically with the reformed, or we're meant to think he's reformed, Ultron 12, trying to see what exactly he wants from all these weird, creepy phone calls. Yeah, I love that that conversation that yeah. they have. And he, they're just like sitting on the, the little speeder bike or whatever it is, like their buddies. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the sky sled. The sky sled, that yeah. They seem to have uh, plenty of. And uh, Wonder Man's uh, acting career is also starting to take off, it would seem. So his his stunt on Johnny Carson worked in his favor. So that was kind of nice. And we forgot to mention last issue, Hawkeye kind of reamed him out for doing it. Uh, and they had to do a whole public... Uh, press conference. Yeah, press conference. They had to have a press conference to specifically talk about it. And Iron Man made a reference where he's like, oh, I'll go get the shovel, uh, which was which was kind of nice because it's like, you know, yeah, they're, fe- <laughs> they're feeding them a line, but they, you know, they got to play uh, PR a little bit. Yeah, um, and I actually, I really like, um, we need to go back just to the last issue because I forgot something that's actually really important okay. because that I want to mention here because there's one part where Hawkeye and Mockingbird have a little bit of a of a fight uh, over the way that Hawkeye handled the situation. It's on page 370. Oh, yes. Because Hawkeye chewed him out and Mockingbird is was like, you know, give him a break. And Hawkeye's, no, no, I, I am the leader. I need to do this. And mm-hmm. she storms off. This is a foreshadow to something that's going to be a very big deal, you know, 30 issues down the road here. Uh, right. But it's kind of the start of a, of, a, of, a, of a thread that's, so it's good to make note of that and keep attention to the way their relationship progresses here. Yeah, I mean, and it makes perfect sense because, you know, they're married, but also technically he's her boss in a way. And, you know, that's that, that usually could lead to conflict, Yep. Uh, you know, because he probably specifically doesn't want to give her special treatment. But then, you know, she also has his ear more than the other ones. So, yep. yeah, it, yep. it's it, it all makes sense. OK, going back to number six here. This is the issue that I mentioned is inked by Kyle Baker. I'm a big Kyle Baker mm-hmm. fan, actually. I really like his work. I have a ton of his graphic novels that he did. Some of my favorite comics are his Dick Tracy comics that he did uh, around the time when the movie came out. And he started his career at Marvel doing a lot of inking and stuff. And so we will see, you'll see him pop up in these epic collections inking and he's got such a distinct style because he, his rendering is he tries to be a little bit more uh, realistic in his rendering. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'll play more with special effects in terms of like fur or uh, there's one on page number 393 when Balkatar, the cat, the jungle cat is falling mm-hmm. to the ground. You can see uh, like some ink splatters to show that, you know, some like the, the charred fur or whatever it is. Yeah. So he'll do a lot of kind of cool stuff like that. A lot of people don't like it because it's such a departure from standard Marvel, but I think it looks really it, cool. Uh, it's almost like a refined Vince Coletta where yeah. he he's a, he's a very fine inking style. Yes. Uh, page 390, uh, the, the, the panel where Wonder Man is smiling and the attention to just that, that fine line creating the contours on his smile. It, it right. looks realistic. It looks like a photo. And, and he even, I, I have a feeling he did this, put that reflection in his shades of <laughs> right. the palm tree. And the, I mean, that's, that's a nice little effect there that, um, you know, as we've talked about, you know, inking changes up. So, I mean, his rendering of the thing, you really feel that, uh, 
you know, it's almost like a rocky exterior. Yeah, yeah, I I, I like it, but a lot of people are they think that it's uh, not as great. But you know, everyone has their own opinions for that, so it's cool. Sure. Well, it's different from what Joe Sinnott was doing, but I I do like it as well. There's a there's a little sense of realism, I think, in his work. Um, yeah. One of the things that I wanted to mention. So he's Wonder Man is an actor and getting his this gig with a Archon movie, Archon Number Four. Yep. Which uh, the Marvel Universe has a. I'm assuming it's based off of Archon. Their you know Avengers villain. Yep. Uh, it is. <laughs> it is. Who is kind of like a Conan, and he's played in here by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yep. Uh, not Schwarzenegger, which we just had Johnny Carson like two issues ago. I wonder why they couldn't use Arnold Schwarzenegger, but they had to come up with Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't <laughs> I'm know. Curious what's yeah. up with that? I wonder if it it, it might not have <laughs> even been a, a a rights thing. Like they probably just wanted to have fun with the name or something. Which which happened a lot back then. It was, it's it's easy to make fun of that last name. Archon. I just did an episode, an Avengers episode that had the first appearance of Archon, and okay. it was in the man. I can't. I think it was the third Avengers epic collection. I can't remember exactly now, but uh, we discussed and, and I suggested that maybe Archon was created as um, a trial for the people who had the Conan license to show for Marvel to show that they were able to do a good Conan comic mm. because it came out just months before uh, Conan number one would come out. And okay. so it, it made sense because it read like a Conan story. He's a very Conan-type character, and it was Roy Thomas who was writing it as well. Mm -hmm. And knowing that, seeing things in this like in this issue where they're making all of these direct uh, references to Conan, like with Arnold Schwarzenegger, of course, yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, maybe it actually was a thing. But uh, Archon is a character that is from a different planet. Uh, in fact, a different dimension, I think. And he doesn't pop up very much. But in the Marvel Universe at this time, they, they make references a number of times to these movies that are being uh -huh. made based on Archon. <laughs> right. Yeah. There was uh, there's actually a deleted scene from Guardians Volume 2, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, uh, with... Simon Williams played by Nathan Fillion. What? And yeah, yeah, there, you you could see it online because there was there was a scene on Earth where there was a theater where it was a Simon Williams film festival, and it's Nathan Fillion and he's there's a couple like rom coms and stuff, but there's one where he is Archon where he actually plays Archon, and there was a there's actually a a, a clip where he's in like a spaceship with the you know the the fur barbarian outfit on oh, and man. it ended up all getting cut because they just didn't have time to, to showcase it but then i, I was so disappointed because i'm like oh nathan fillion for wonder man going forward but then it never it never ended up happening so <laughs> i'm gonna have to check that have out to check it out because in that very same uh, podcast episode i was telling you about uh, the avengers one where we talk about archon i was like i the, the whole concept of archon is absolutely fascinating and the history and stuff it's really really great i totally want to see it come up in a movie and i was like i and i mm -hmm. said in the episode i really <laughs> wanted to be in doctor strange and the multiverse of madness like that's one of the areas of the multiverse that they go to see archon but if they yeah. already kind of hinted at archon that's even better that's so good. I, I mean i'm hoping that i mean who knows you know with james gunn he he's that's his his sensibilities as a filmmaker you know he throws in all sorts of stuff i'm curious if we'll it got cut for two but maybe we'll see it somewhere down the road i but, hope so you know nathan fillion's also starting to get he's getting up there a little bit and i think it's perfect casting because the way that that simon williams is as a as a character i think would work i think so too. but uh anyway that's a little off topic it is yep yeah. let's keep on going here 
we we get Tigra. She gets very familiar with this Belkatar guy, uh, cat guy. Yep. So yeah, this is yet another one of her partners <laughs> in her, uh, you know, uh, her ways. Part of her character is that she's a feminist, and she's very outspoken about that throughout this volume mm-hmm. about her feminist views and such. And being a you know sexually liberated woman as well is part of that part of her character i think so not only does right. she have that kind of cat in heat thing but there's also the feminism side that that at play here right because technically she started as the cat when she was she was just a costumed hero and then and that came out during you know that was supposed to be the whole deal she was kind of like a feminist superhero there's like a tons of backstory here for uh, like they, they spent yes. four pages of backstory telling us the entire <laughs> history of not only her but of of the cat people like going back to the very beginning anybody wants to know about the cat people this is the issue yeah this is this, for this, sure <laughs> get through all the way to uh page 407 where we get a cat person riding a woolly mammoth <laughs> down yes, a city street with a gun it's like oh yeah <laughs> with some sort of laser <laughs> rifle yeah. Like, what the hell is going on here? It's so funny. That uh, Tigra Complete Collection is going to be so bizarre because all of the issues that they talk about here are in that Complete Collection. And I think that they're like all separate stories that Steve is trying to desperately to tie together here. <laughs> yeah. Like he try- kind of yeah. reconciles all of the stuff between the cat people and this one woman, uh, Dr. Tomolo, who gave her the powers at the be- like originally. It's all right yeah i don't know i have to we'll have to read that that book at some point well and and their the history of these cat people is is they were regular cats that were turned into cat people by a human scientist is that and the high evolutionary they, no it's just some random guy who liked cats I oh yeah it was a wizard or something right <laughs> what was his name yeah 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 ebrock yeah, yeah, like yeah middle ages or something like that and then they started learning the ways of turning cats into cat people <laughs> Just, I don't know. My head, yeah. your head starts to spin after a while with all this cat people stuff. Yeah, and then 900 years later, they find out that they can no longer transform cat into cat people, but they can turn people <laughs> into cat people, and that's where Tigra comes into play. <laughs> yes, yeah, because that must be easier of a of a process to take a human and put it into a cat. I guess so. Rather than the other way around. Oh, God. I think we need to move on from this issue. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, West Coast Avengers number seven is called You, Robot. And we get uh, the return of Joe Sinnott on inks. And I love this splash page where we're looking through the eyes of Ultron. And this Mm. is, uh, we're looking at a scene that happened in the pages of Fantastic Four. I think Fantastic Four number 277, uh, where they battle Ultron. And his head is left kind of in the rubble. And this, uh, this woman sees, and I love how in this one panel on page 412 how her hands are huge because it's like look they're they're it's supposed to be some foreshortening or something going on here but but looking through right. Ultron's eyes it definitely looks uh, distorted right as she's right. reaching for Ultron's head and then we see all of these things from Ultron's perspective. Even as she places him on top of the TV, there's a mirror behind her so we can see Ultron's head there. Um, but it's all from his point of view, which I think is really cool. The first few pages are like that. 
And then at the very end, uh, we revisit Ultron's eyes again. So it's a nice bookend. But there's two yes. things going on here. One is that uh, all of the West Coast Avengers, or most of them, are still partying it hard with the, the cat people. That's not really part of this issue. So we just got a little right. hint of what's going on. And I, I think coming up with breaking points for epic collections must be really hard. But the, the conclusion to that cat people story is going to be in volume two. So we're not going to talk about it in this issue. Right. Uh, so they're just hanging out there. The main story here is we're switching our focus back to what's happening with Hank Pym because he's hanging out with his newfound, long-lost son, Ultron 12. In fact, he's calling himself Ultron Mark 12. And then he says, no, just call me Mark. <laughs> I'm, I'm a person yeah. now, so just call <laughs> <Yeah>. me Mark. <laughs> yep, yep. So that's funny. And we get a little bit of history about why he is the way he is. And this is a very interesting time for Ultron because um, this Ultron has actual emotions. He is not programmed to to destroy. He's evolved to the point where now he actually wants to be a useful member of society. He wants to re uh, reacquaint himself with his father and, and make amends. Mm -hmm. So that's very interesting. So the Mark 12, Ultron Mark 12... You know, he's yeah, he's become good, but then they're actually attacked by Ultron Eleven, which Who is still I'm evil. Kinda, yeah. Right. And I'm kinda confused. I don't remember which Ultron was the one in Secret Wars, because I thought that was twelve, but I guess I need to read this Fantastic Four issue to find out which is which here. Um Yeah, I'm not sure because Ben Grimm brought the Ultron head back from Battle World. And there, that's right. Then it got uh, remade or something. That's why and, it was in the rubble. Yeah, that's why it was in the rubble. They fought it, and so okay. I don't know how they number each each one. I have no idea. Um, but yeah, this is a this is a different Ultron. Yeah, there's two Ultrons in this issue. One's the old evil one, and one's the new one. <laughs> right. And again, you, you, here you have Steve Englehart trying to probably make sense of some of these various points of continuity and trying to uh, weave them together. And, and I mean, it, it's effective. It works well. I mean, basically you have two Ultrons, you know, fighting to one to kill Pym, one to save Pym. You know, the Mark 12 goes and gets Wonder Man uh, to help out. Um, you know, this kind of ends up putting Pym through the ringer a little bit more uh, than I think he even expected because he actually sheds a tear after Mark uh, bites it, yep. uh, trying to save him. Um, I do want to say page 418 the Ultron that has uh, bonded with the television set needs to be an action figure. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that's, uh, that's just awesome. It's so goofy, but but really cool. Like, it's kind of creepy at the same way. Yeah. And I really also appreciated, uh, let's see, where is it? Four, 428. Uh, that last panel, I mean, you're seeing Wonder Man start to cut loose here a little bit. And the two of them, him and Ultron, uh, the evil Ultron, going at it to fight is just so cool looking. Uh, so this this ends uh, on page 432. We see some random kid tinkering away, and he has an he has an Ultron head on his desk, and it's 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 not told specifically which Ultron head that is because the evil Ultron his head was smashed by Wonder Man, and then Ultron 11's head was left in that facility. So I'm not sure is this is this the beginning of an Ultron 13? <laughs> I know that we again we get one, but I don't know where this this Ultron head came from. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly either. Now Ultron 13 is made by Doctor Doom for Acts of Vengeance in the pages of Daredevil. Uh, okay, all right. So then that wouldn't be this one. This is another Ultron getting worked on. Yeah, but Ultron in that head. story in Daredevil, there are like hundreds of Ultron heads. Apparently, Ultron had been Got making it. many, many versions of himself or something. So this could Which be one of those. Makes or, sense. Yeah, I don't know. 
Or maybe there's something that happens between here and Acts of Vengeance. Yeah, maybe his dad works at this uh, facility, this, what is it, ultimatum something or other, and uh, brought it home. Like, hey, son, look what I found. <laughs> yeah, here's a nice toy for you to play with. Yeah. <laughs> Looks evil, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, rounding up here, our epic collection is the last uh, last thing we're going to talk about here. Wonder Man number one, one shot. Great cover from Bill Sienkiewicz. I just love oh, it. Oh, absolutely. And uh, one of the bonus features is the cover without the logo or any of the trade dress on it. So you get to see the full thing, mm-hmm. and that's really nice. Uh, this is an issue that's out of continuity. It actually takes place before Marvel 2 and 1 number 86 and West Coast Avengers uh, miniseries number 1. And this, the events in here are actually referenced in the miniseries, and then they, they published this later to tell the events of those story, that story. Uh, but Wonder Man is, his, he's doing his job as a stuntman, and... Um, Wonder Man is feeling a little bit unfulfilled with his work and is um, he goes to visit the Avengers and uh, just to blow off some steam, but gets sucked into this whole uh, story. There's two, there's kind of two things going on here. One is that the scientists, he gets hired for a job and the scientists have, are opening up a portal. They've figured out how to do a portal and uh, these creatures start coming through and uh, Wonder Man has to try and save the day. And um, while they're doing that, uh, I guess somebody gets sucked into the portal and then, then he gets called away from that. And I found this to be an odd thing right at halfway through that the, he doesn't follow mm-hmm. through with the end of that event, adventure because the Avengers actually call him because Sandman is messing with radiation is going to destroy the city. And he's like, that's a bigger deal. So I'm going to go help out them. And then he comes back to the to the to, to the laboratory and finds out that the guy was saved after all, and he wasn't really needed. And I would have thought right. that and that then would he's fired. yeah, and then he's fired. I would have thought that that would have meant that he you know he failed and he would have felt that he wasn't needed or something like mm-hmm. it would have played into his insecurities that we know from him reading through these early issues of West Coast Avengers but instead right. it's like the the guy who he didn't end up saving the guy who was in trouble he says you know what I totally understand you made the right call because that was the bigger situation um, I would have done the same thing or something and he kind of leaves thinking he's a hero so I found this issue kind of partly to be in character and partly to be kind of not in character in that sense. Yeah, this this felt a little disjointed, and I researched this a little bit. This was meant to be a miniseries. Oh. He was suppo- this was supposed to be one and one through four, uh, which, which then didn't happen, and so then they cobbled together and put it as a one-shot. So that's why it feels like such an oddity. Yeah, um, yeah, that makes more sense, actually. When, when you know it's a mini, it was supposed to be a miniseries, now all of a sudden, it, it feel, okay, now I know where this story was supposed to breathe, why we had like this guest appearance by Ant-Man in the earlier, which is awesome, because I love Ant-Man. Um, we get this, because it feels like it's one story, then another story. And yeah, his insecurities should have played into the fact that he got fired from this Cordco laboratory, but it was only because he was so needed to save the world, or at least the city, from the radioactive Sandman that, you know, he felt better about, you know, himself at that point. But yes, it feels a little odd because they didn't have the proper, I think, pacing that they would have had. Yeah. I think that's um, the biggest issue. It actually there's a there's a lot of filler like the those tiny little munchkin guys or whatever they are. Yeah, um, the and gnomes. The gnomes. <laughs> 
And like that was kind of a, a long drawn out scene that didn't need to be drawn out. So it's like there are parts of it. It's like, yeah, they're really rushing to to cram four issues worth of story into one yes. giant size issue. But at the same time, it's like these long drawn out sequences that are not necessary and maybe they could have expanded. But if in order to get any sort of semblance of reasonable pacing, they had to mm-hmm. stick that stuff in there. It, it, it is a bizarre issue. It is. Um, you know, I like seeing the return of the safari jacket because i am a fan <laughs> right yep. um what what is a little annoying because this is out of uh it's out of continuity in terms of when it was published and when it was printed in here you know we're back to kind of this simon who's a little unsure of himself you know uh when we just got through all of that in west coast we see a, a self-confident simon now in west coast avengers and then we read this story where we're like oh okay we're back to him not so sure where he fits in the world again so yeah you know it's a little it's it's, but again this i'm not sure the reason why that fell through the original plans for it but um you know i'm glad we finally got something out of it and i have to say 468 and 469 what an awesome fight with sandman yes that's true they really did some great visuals with the character uh when he like takes his, himself down to uh, the hardness of sandstone. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Yeah, it's very cool. They do a lot of really neat things to to show off his various different powers in a fight that's only mm-hmm. three pages long, right? It's actually, or four, uh, yeah, four about, pages. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's all Wonder Man doing his thing because he can handle whatever radioactivity is, is coming off of him. Um, but yeah, just a really great, uh, great sequence there. And I love the final panel, the... The, you know, riding the, the horse off into the sunset type of vibe where it's the Quinjet going back towards the city of New York and you have this sunset happening. It's really nice looking. Yeah. Uh, I think that this would have been a really, really great four-issue miniseries because David Michelinie is a mm-hmm. fantastic writer. He would have done a, a really good job. I agree. It's too yep. bad to, to know that it was supposed to be a thing and it never happened. Well, at least we got an army of interdimensional gnomes, you know? <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> That does it for the issues in the Epic Collection. And uh, for those of you who just want a little bit more, uh, there are a bunch of interviews and bonus features at the back of this Epic Collection. Um, A Marvel Age interview, which is always nice. Uh, There's not a a lot of big revelations in this interview. It's kind of a puff piece about what's coming up in for Marvel. Um, but it's, it's fun to read. And then what what's really cool is that there is one page from Marvel Age Annual Number 1, which is, it says here, it's a short promo scene for the 1985 West Coast Avengers ongoing series. So just always good to that they include little things like that that would get lost to time. Yep. Um, a couple of handbook to the Marvel Universe entries, one for Hawkeye and his weapons and his sky cycle. These are things you would yes. typically find in like an annual uh, Marvel annual backup feature. And it's neat to see all of these two, um, including how his all of his uh, different trick arrows work. Uh, one for Mockingbird as well. It's a little out of continuity because this costume that Mockingbird has here is a costume that she gets um, in volume two. A little down the road. Yeah. Yes. Uh, there is also a reproduction of a 1984 poster at the back of this book that I believe was only available to uh, comic shops at the time. And it shows, uh, it's by Bob Hall and Al Milgram, and it shows the West Coast team at their compound. And they're looking at a little view screen to the East Coast team, and the other half of the poster has the East Coast team in what looks like their you know basement area. At, at the mansion and they're looking at a large big screen TV of the West Coast team 
Um, and it just kind of basically shows the entirety of the Avengers at this point. And it looks like with 1984 and the, the lineup, this has to do with the four-issue miniseries. Definitely. You can see Shroud lurking in the background there, so it's uh, that he wasn't in the main series at all. Right. Um, and I actually I found this poster at a flea market, and uh, I just had to have it at the time. I was like, oh, I've never seen that before. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so that proudly uh, is up in my comic book room. That's awesome. This is this is a fantastic poster. Not only does it have like all of the major players in the Avengers, uh, it just looks awesome too. The, the great concept. Uh, the art team of mm-hmm. Hall and Milgram is just fantastic in this. Um, the only thing is yes. that um, Hercules is on this weird view screen or something up in the top corner. <laughs> and I was wondering, yeah. like, did they did they forget to put him yep. in there? And then the editor's like, uh, guys, you forgot Hercules. <laughs> oh, oh where, where can we fit him in? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I do like how, you, you know, this, because it's split down the middle, it, it does almost showcase the vibes of the team, uh, both teams. And we kind of touched on that, I think, in the first episode, how the West Coast team kind of felt a little bit more laid back. Yeah. And here they are, you know, chilling by their pool. And uh, and then the East Coast team is more, you know, all business and they're in their meeting room at their table and everything. Yeah, it's the difference between their official business table and like the uh, the, the lounge chairs that the West Coast team is in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. And it just, it shows yep, yep. Uh, the, the, yeah, it, it totally reflects the attitudes of, east versus west and i love just seeing the the compound the the california compound in the background there it's a really really nice picture yes it is it is uh there's a few other uh covers in here towards towards the end of some of the other collections the various premier hardcovers that they've come out with uh in previous years uh kind of reprinted here uh we do get one of the ralph macchio afterwards which is unique to the Epic Collection, and I love these. I, I hope they continue doing these. Uh, I know they don't do them for every, every single Epic Collection, but these are nice. Yeah, and I don't think that there's been one recently. Um, I, I'm not sure if they're going to continue, but yeah, he he has some great insight because he's just been around for so long, and even if he's not involved mm-hmm. in the title directly, um, which he is on this one because he was the editor, um, I believe, right? Yes, uh, I believe well, no, that's what well, he's talking Grun- about here. Yeah, Gruenwald was editor. Yeah, actually, I don't even know if he was directly involved in this, but he always uh, has some fun stories to tell because he just knows all of the ins and outs of what was going on behind the scenes in the offices there. Yeah, I'm curious if if the the folks behind the Epic Collections themselves, if they're going to maybe branch out with other afterwards by other creators and editors uh, of the bullpen of the time period being covered. Because I, I do like it. I like that the Epic gets one more little, I don't know, something unique to the Epic collections. Exactly, yeah, a little bonus. It's very nice. Um, yeah, they, they could reach out to people like Tom DeFalco or Jim Shooter and, and people like Jerry oh, yeah. Conway. Like there's a, There are a lot of creators out there who might be willing to write something like that. I mean, they get them to do the Masterworks intros. I know that... Uh, Every so often, Don McGregor and David Anthony Kraft say, I just finished my essay for the newest Marvel Masterworks or whatever. So they're out there. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, that kind of brings us to the end of our collection. At the end of our conversation, we've covered everything in this first volume here. And, uh, you know, I think it would be fun, Josh, if we did one more episode, uh-huh. if we did a, um, a West Coast Avengers episode 1c and just covered the rest of the vision and scarlet witch 12 issue limited series curtis i think that's a fantastic idea (laughs) yeah 
because you know we're not we're no if i just follow the epic collections there's not going to be another chance to talk about this because obviously they're not collecting it in this and i don't think it has a real place in avengers proper so yeah we should just go for it right yeah it uh it it, it does fit well with this because the eventually you know down the road past that there there will be more connections to avengers west coast uh, once john byrne uh, comes on board right so i think it makes a lot of sense to uh to, to let's cover these because we won't cover them anywhere else. Well, probably I, I could see you probably taking care of the original four issue series with Avengers. I, I feel like that'll be in there somewhere. So in the next episode next week, what we will do is we will pick up right where we left off with issue number three, Vision and Scarlet Witch, issue number three, and go right through to issue number 12. So if you're reading along, hopefully you can get yourself a copy of that book or uh, it's on Marvel Unlimited. You can uh, find it online there. Uh, and join us next week as we continue our talk, uh, continue our conversation. But thanks, Josh, for uh, joining me for the, the for this volume, and uh, can't wait to dive into this next book with you. Absolutely. Sounds great. 